Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Determination, Deliberation, and Dragons, a creative writing podcast where we talk about creative writing in whatever form we want, really, with determination and deliberation and dragons. So today um, we are joined by a special guest, Andy, my Quidditch captain, guy who taught me how to how to be a keeper and soon to be creative writing master's student. So that's super exciting. He's he's going to have a lot to tell us. And first in that line of telling us things, we have some questions for him. So Andy, we're going to just like ask you all these questions um, one by one and feel free to respond with however much information you want. My body so. is ready. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, your name and pronouns for everyone? Uh, yes, my name is Andy Rutherford, uh, pronouns he, him. I, I am known at work as Andy N. Rutherford because of a clerical error, but uh, uh, you can just call me Andy. Okay. Um, what is your favorite book? Book or book series? Is that a separate question? or? Oh, we, yeah, we're going to ask book series next. We need everything. Single book is is definitely harder for me because um, it's much easier to be like, oh, I like that whole series. If I had to be like pinned down to like just a book, and because uh, rather than a a whole continuous series, uh, which is sort of a separate category for me, I would have to say, keeping nostalgia factors out, I would have to say American Gods. I will say final answer is American Gods for fa- favorite single book. Okay, now favorite book series. Okay, this this one is much easier because I have a set series for this. So uh, it is a series that I know that um, Peter would greatly dislike, um, but it is uh, the first Law trilogy. Um, it is a perfect deconstruction of fantasy tropes, and it is the only sort of like grim dark series that like not the only, but one of the few grim dark series that really justifies itself as grim dark and every bit of like the sort of the dark edginess that is that is so terrible and empty and meaningless in most series means a lot more because it's all about like geopolitics and like the and it's a subversion of the idea of like the noble quest uh, which is sort of taken in context uh, is sort of like when politicians say oh boy we are on a noble quest to defeat evil they're almost always <laughs> Uh, trying to do something that is either equally evil or just, uh, you know, morally compromised in some sense. And it uses fantasy to comment on real life and real life to sort of comment on fantasy. So I have a much better prepared uh, answer for that particular one. That sounds what amazing. The... First Law series, you said? First Law trilogy, yes. Okay. First Law trilogy, okay. Yes, it's by then... Joe Abercrombie. Yeah, it's it's very dark, Um Again, I, I do not think Peter would be into it, but maybe maybe they would. I don't know. I, I, I've not checked with them for a while. The premise sounds the super interesting, no. but I don't like dark stuff. So we'll see. I'm, I might try it. Um, okay. Now your favorite author. I feel like I should cover for the fact that I did not say this person for my favorite book or favorite series, because I can't truly say that the Broken Earth trilogy is like my favorite trilogy, first off, because I'm still finishing the third book, but second off, because it is unrelentingly sad. Like, I, Izzy is nodding, so I imagine she has also read these books. The first book was our common reading for first year in college. Yes, so I have to, I'm going to say N.K. Jemisin because she is brilliant 
and did the like you know people talk about brandon sanderson as being like the guy for magic systems for hard magic systems um and that's true to a large extent but like if i were to say who wrote Write, wrote the best magic system it would be nk jemison if i were to and she also does characters in a way that is not just complex but also blows my mind with its like nail dragging realism and it just oh those books hurt me inside so i can't say they're my favorites because uh, i feel pain just having to work my way through them but at the same time they're brilliant and extraordinarily well written and probably deserve to be my favorite books if i was not a softie uh, but i am they're way 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 harder to read than uh first law trilogy which is you know also dark but not nearly as heartbreaking as um but yeah that's my that's my thing i could not read the i read the first one it was very good I could not read the next ones. Yes, un- understandable. Okay, so now the most important question, your favorite dragon. And this can be like <laughs> whatever, however you want to interpret that. You're like a species, an individual, a character. Yeah, that's that's a good question um, and appropriate for this podcast. Um, <laughs> I grew up on the Spyro games, uh, Spyro mm-hmm. the Purple Dragon. Uh, so... Uh, I'm going to say Spyro, um, not from the, like, follow-up Spyro series, the reboot, um, which I sort of enjoyed, but was very eh on in a lot of ways. I'm going to say the Spyro from the original uh, trilogy of games, because I like purple, and he's pretty cute, and I enjoyed those games. Perfect. We always love a good cute dragon. So, moving on, just a fun fact about yourself. Uh, fun fact about myself. I feel like this is a future plug um, because, as Peter mentioned earlier, um, I'm going to creative. I'm going to get a master's in creative writing, um, and I am. I did NaNoWriMo National Novel Writing Month uh, in 2020 during the heart of the pandemic, and I started a novel which I am planning to finish and eventually publish. So, my fun fact about myself is that I am writing a book. <laughs> That's awesome. I want to talk about that later. And your so the last question that we'll ask you, why do you like writing in stories? Oh man, that is like asking me why do I enjoy food or breathing or like uh you know, it's and I I just finished applying to um as the creative writing programs and that was sort of hell, but uh the one thing that was incredibly easy for, was they all ask they all ask for a statement of purpose and like the first two paragraphs of all of them are all the same. It's all just my story of like being, you know, a, a baby being seven and reading the uh, Aragon. Did you, did you guys, uh, did either of you read those books? Yep. Um, yeah. Um, so like, they're not very good. Um, <laughs> they're, you know, they're, they were written by a 15 year old and they're incredibly impressive for something written by a 15 year old. I don't want to hate on Christopher Plony. That's I'm, I also wouldn't want to go on any kind of thing and hate on someone's hard work on something. Um, but like, you know, they were written by a 15 year old. Um, and it's, you know, it's the, it's the hero gets the hot elf lady. Um, <laughs> so like from that moment on, I was like, have been reading, and sort of like playing pretend in my mind and sort of like, you know, everybody else stopped playing pretend at the age of like 10 or whatever. And I didn't stop. <laughs> um, I just kept going in my brain. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've been a storyteller for ages and I, I 
just uh, and in college i'm like well you know i'm never going to make money off of this so i'm going to do political science and then become a lawyer um and i got out of college and i uh, started being a paralegal and i'm like wow i am miserable (laughs) um i am not enjoying this work at all um and this is not fulfilling me as a person so i'm going to take a step back and try and do something that is so in my blood and so in my heart that like i you know it's it's sort of i have to do this because it's it's who i am um so if i fail and being a writer is unsuccessful then i will move on to something that will be less fulfilling in life um but i will keep on uh, you know telling stories and doing my thing on the side regardless yeah, I mean, that sounds amazing. And we, I definitely have like so much faith in you succeeding in this. And I'm very excited to hear what happens and how everything goes. But moving on from our interrogation, now that everyone knows who you are, you, you are known, um, we're gonna talk a little bit about the TV show She-Ra, which <laughs> Izzy and Andy both know really well. I've, I've dabbled in it. I have seen it. I would put a caveat on how well I know it. I've watched it through one time. So if I misremember something, that's on me. I have watched through it two times. Um, and then uh, because I real I knew I was going to be doing this, decided to like sort of watch back through some of the key episodes and take notes on those episodes and sort of like the character development moments. So perhaps my knowledge is... Uh, the best, but uh, I'm sure Izzy's <laughs> passion is equal to my own. Um, oh, man, it's it's a fantastic show. Yeah, I mean, Izzy certainly loves it. I yeah. think I have seen it through, <laughs> like, the whole show. Um, but most of my knowledge just comes from, like, re-watching clips on YouTube of, like, the same scenes with Catra and Adora. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the plan, then, is... So Andy, you have notes and we'll basically just talk about whatever ideas you have and like respond respond to that if that sounds good with for, with both of you. I yeah, you know, hearing myself <laughs> talk sounds great. <laughs> um yeah, so Did uh, you have a particular theme or topic or just Yeah, so uh like the I I was like, okay, we're going to talk about themes when we start when I, when I, uh, or uh, what do you guys ask me when I wanted to talk about? Um, and so I, I set out to take notes on that. And I'm like, well, like there are a million videos and a million topics about like the characters of Catra and Adora. So I don't really want to like do that specifically. But the more I like got into the themes, the more I'm like, man, I can't tell this, I can't talk about this without also talking about the characters because they're so closely interwoven with the themes. Um, but I'm like, might as well do a um, uh, a bit that's also about Catherine Adora, but sort of does does try to move beyond uh, just like oh my god, these characters are great, um, and, and I love them. Um, so I actually uh, I I want super nerd, and I just I thought that perhaps we could start with a quote <laughs> from from Kurt Vonnegut, uh, which is less nerd and more just like slightly esoteric. Um, if that's okay with you both. <laughs> Go for it. I don't know anything. By, well, I haven't read anything by him. Yeah. So Kurt Vonnegut um, uh, was in World War II. Uh, he was a soldier in World War II, uh, and he was uh, present for the bombing of Dresden. And we sort of like 
especially in the United States, we like to think of World War II as sort of the the just war. Like, if you want to point and say war can be good, we're like, oh, well, you got to defeat Nazis, right? Like, that's you know, if you're not defeating Nazis, then what are you doing? You, that's that's why we need the military. That's why we need war. Um, but uh, Vonnegut lived through the bombing of Dresden, which was this horrific, uh, you know, crime against humanity. Um, I think war crime that was never. Um, uh, no one, I don't think, was prosecuted for that. I, I don't know the history, so don't at me if I'm wrong about that. But um, uh, Vonnegut was there for the sort of the darker side of, of, of World War II and was there for the bombing of Dresden. Um, and he was a comedy writer, uh, but, uh, but in his book Slaughterhouse-Five, he took on some very serious topics and the, the topics of war. Um, uh, and... I swear this is this is I, I imagine Izzy and Peter are just like what why did we bring we bring this guy on to talk about Kurt Vonnegut um uh, which is has nothing to do with Shira but I, I, I the Shira is in large part about roles and about love and about like rejecting uh, your role in a sort of like an imperialist um uh like uh organization and uh, in favor of moving on to sort of uh, trying to, to get beyond those things. So I think, uh, I think a lot about this Vonnegut quote when I think about Shiro, which is, uh, I have told my sons that they are not under any circumstances to take part in massacres, and that the news of massacres of enemies is not to fill them with satisfaction or, or glee. I have also told them not to work for companies which make massacre machinery and to express contempt for people who think that we need machinery like that. Um, that's from Slaughterhouse-Five. Uh, and uh, there's this ongoing theme in Shira of characters who are, you know, a part of the the evil horde, this uh, organization of sort of, a, you know, this imperialists um, trying to take over the, the the planet of Etheria, and characters slowly coming for one reason or another to reject their roles in that organization. Um, so I, I find, uh, you know. Uh, I find a connection uh, in in that in that it's you know the the message is is also about love and that's the second theme that I want to talk about it's it's about rejecting your roles or defining yourself in your roles uh, and trying to figure out who you are in the in the role that you have to play uh, but it's uh, that sort of goes hand in hand with the concept of love and of loving relationships and of finding yourself through love. Um, which is the other half that has less less to do with Vonnegut. Um, so that's my sort of pretentious opening. I, Izzy, um, I, I guess, uh, what is your what is your relationship with the show? I guess, um, as, and I guess Peter also. Um, but I guess, uh, like, uh, where where do you come for? What is it that you guys or like about the show or so much? I mean, I love fantasy animated TV shows, so I came initially being like let's watch this for you know adventure and fun and then also watching it realizing oh wow this is a very queer show and this is some of the first you know semi-open you know it's like more well I, it's hard to say whether it's subtext or just like you know open in a way that other shows aren't necessarily open like to say it's just subtext feels like inaccurate but it's more open about like queerness existing in still a not quite like verbal way per se but like 
op- open in like showing it. Right. Sort of. I don't have the words to describe it that well. Sort of the opposite of uh, Dumbledore showing, and Grindelwald telling. in um, <laughs> uh, Fantastic Beasts. <laughs> yeah. It's so like, far. okay, did you see so that far. single single thing that it, that happened? I came to it for the representation, but most importantly for the friend. And I'm a big big fan of the fantasy adventure quest. Yes. Yeah. I. I. Yes. I think. And I think that's also that's a that's a big draw for people. Um, and I, I also enjoyed it. And I enjoyed uh, introducing it to a lot of my queer friends. And uh, I think my my friend Gray, uh, who I who Peter definitely knows. I don't know if is he knew Gray at, at Vassar, um, no. uh, but he uh, he he watched it and he was just like, man, watching this, I really want to be a lesbian right now. <laughs> Um, uh, and I, yeah, I think that that's, uh, I think that's definitely, it's, it's written and even like beyond the text and the writing of it, like it's written like, uh, and it's, uh, drawn in a style that sort of evokes, uh, 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 you can definitely tell that Adora is a, like, if, the, if you could look at a picture and be like, show me what a lesbian is without telling me someone is a lesbian. And I'm like, Adora in Shira form or Huntara, um, <laughs> Uh, and I'm like, yeah, look at, look, look at those, um, look at those muscles. Um, yeah. So I, 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 I love that about the show also. Anyways, uh, back to the notes, which I guess are, are running the conversation. Um, so the show begins, um, with did Peter, did Peter want to share their oh, relationship sorry, to the sorry, show? Peter. I mean, I don't have a huge relationship to it. It was just like, I, I was bored on YouTube and I started just seeing clips of it. Um, I thought it was super funny. And then like, I think just the connection of star Wars became like super apparent to me. And the way that I describe it now is like, I mean, it it very much is similar to star Wars, but like fairy princesses, <laughs> which is like super cool and awesome. And it explores a lot of things that star Wars, I think just, doesn't like it has no interest in exploring and it tends to avoid it um although like a lot of the the issues around like imperialism are you know certainly just the same issues um i just think that shira often has like a you know an interesting take that star wars maybe sometimes tries to hit on but sometimes like fails so i think that is just like comparing the two of them and like i love star wars um so i think like that connection really just made me enjoy shira like even more like even there's one part i don't think it's like the actual ships but it's like when hordak is like telling you how he got stuck on etheria and there's like these kind of stylized like representation of the of the horde ships and they're just they're triangles, which is just star destroyers. So like even the imagery is like they're not trying to hide that the the horde is very much just like the empire in their goal of like conquering planets and turning everything into like this homogenous like technological kind of you know organization, you know all led by by Emperor Palpatine of course, so Horde Prime. So that I mean that's that's most of my relationship to the show I think dope yeah yeah i think i i definitely agree with you 
Um, I, until you talk, you were talking, I'm like, is it really Star Wars? And like, no, yeah, it kind of is because Horde of the Palpatine of the show and that everyone else in the show is a character and Horde Prime is just a force of evil. And the Emperor isn't so much a character so much he is just like the embodiment of evil and darkness and the dark side. Um, Chief Palpatine doesn't get, get so much characterization as he gets evil laughs. Pretty much. <laughs> Instead of jumping to the beginning of the show, actually, let's start with um, a, a couple of fun facts. Um, and truly just two. Um, so you may or may not know that uh, Princess Spinarella uh, is voiced by Andy Stevenson, who is the uh, writer of the show. Um, uh, and that uh, and they uh, guest starred on Critical Role uh, in some capacity back in the day, uh, which is uh, makes uh, connects us even more strongly to the fact that there's a uh, D&D episode in season two uh, called Just Roll With It, which is one of my favorite episodes because I love all things D&D. Um, uh, and I, you know, I, Dungeon Master in my spare time. Um, uh, and so it, it greatly endeared me to it, um, both in that episode and in like, oh, so this, this person, like they... They clearly uh, also enjoy, or uh, I think they have their own D and D podcast or D and D game beyond the Critical Role thing. But it's just sort of uh, the, the collision of two things that I love is always warms my heart. Um, so that is that is my fun facts about the show. Uh, yes, yeah, so the show begins um, with the uh, uh, with Adora, the main character, uh, realizing. Oops, uh, I guess I didn't know it, but I was a part of this awful imperialist army. The Horde is actually the evil Horde. Um, <laughs> didn't know that. Um, finding the Sword of Power, um, or the Sword of Protection, as it's sometimes called. Uh, realizing that she is She-Ra, and deciding to leave the Horde for the Pr- Princess Alliance and joining the side of good. Uh, which causes her, um, uh, Which causes her best friend and eventual love interest or or ongoing love interest uh, is probably more accurate uh katra to absolutely lose her lose her marbles um and uh you know because katra feels extremely abandoned um as adora leaves and therefore uh in future uh and as we as we start to see in flashbacks adora wherever she goes just is the golden child um and is the uh you know uh, before even before she was Shira she was you know destined to be force captain was sort of the best fighter and was uh very keenly uh or not very keenly uh and uh, of almost and of greater importance to Katra uh their sort of mutual adopted mother uh or mother figure um Shadow Weaver always favored uh, uh Adora to an absurd degree um and uh that led to uh a certain amount of jealousy that Adora was sort of like purposefully blinded herself from so the uh so Katra like rejects the side of good in favor of the horde both because she feels betrayed by Adora who goes off and makes new friends um and uh the two of them sort of have uh divergent and yet parallel paths through the show and that they're both trying to find who they are and trying to define themselves through their roles. Um, and the end of that journey um, is sort of, and it's sort of a, uh, is spoiler, I guess, is a uh, 
journey into love and their the the end solution uh, and this is a massive oversimplification is like the way that they sort of find comfort with themselves and find a role and find a, a role that really suits them um is they find not just each other in the romantic sense of love but also it just in the like they find they escape the sort of abusive uh relationship that they have with shadow weaver and this and the um and the horde and imperialism uh which are all sort of empty concepts or self-harming concepts into the the sort of more fulfilling love and the friendship that they find in the princess alliance so the themes uh this is a very long way of saying are about finding yourself and establishing yourself in your role what roles do we reject what roles do we accept um and the answer to that is ones uh have uh, are ones that are based on real connections real loving relationships um i'd also like to say uh most of this most of what i'm saying are my own thoughts i also have watched many youtube videos on the subject uh video essays um uh, I feel like I should give some sort of footnote uh, on a couple of things to overly sarcastic um, productions, uh, the YouTube series, which is fantastic. Um, and five by f- uh, f- or take five by five. I, some- five by five takes. Five by five takes. Thank you very much. Um, so again, that was my other, other extended intro. Uh, uh, so uh, do we have any, any thoughts of your, of your own or anything? I feel like I should stop talking at some point. Uh, <laughs> So it's not just one long Andy, one long Andy monologue. Lord, I'm having so much fun listening to you. <laughs> Sorry, listeners, that this has become the Andy podcast for this episode. I swear I did not plan this. Um, uh, and to to reconnect with the um, the Vonnegut of it all is it's just like uh, Adora rejects the. Uh, the role of uh, of the villain of of member of the horde leaves the imper- leaves her imperialist background behind and um, in most stories that is the end of the character's arc of just like oh I have joined the good guys and like maybe there are a couple episodes where it's sort of like oh I have to you know fit in with the good guys but what's interesting about Adora's arc is that bec- that's where she begins but she is not done you know, leaving the side of evil, quote unquote, even though she's on the side with the good guys the whole time. And even though she's never like remotely interested in, um, uh, in the sort of, uh, in rejoining the horde or anything. That's not, that's not what I mean when I mean she hasn't done. I mean that the role of She-Ra, uh, is also wrapped up in this other, other imperialist group, uh, called the first ones. Um, and it's sort of this, and it's, uh, a, a, role that was originally belonged to Etheria, but sort of got co-opted into their empire um, and into their sort of... Uh, and so she has to slowly figure out that uh, She-Ra was like sort of reforged and remade into a weapon by the first ones. Um, and so later seasons are all about, you know, like the uh, spoilers, Etheria is a Death Star. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, and, you know, she has the key to the Death Star and she has to choose, you know, like, oh, will I take will I take up the tools of the oppressor to help us find our our salvation or will I reject that role? You know, will I use this horrible weapon to save us uh, and its power? Uh, and, you know, so another character is uh, who I wish wish we had time for. I would love to get into Glimmer and her arc, which is equally fascinating, but separate. Um, and she has her own issue with being role and being queen and stuff um 
uh, and the uh, so Adora ultimately rejects that role and now has to completely reinvent the identity of Shira, the identity of herself, like from square one, like, oh, what does it mean to be the hero? Am I a hero? Like, did any of that mean anything or was I just a, a, a piece in a puzzle? Um, and she eventually, uh, like in season five, um, regains the power of Shira without the, without the sword after she broke, broke the sword, the piece of first one tech that they tied to the, the, character of Shira, she breaks the sword um, uh, and becomes Shira in her own right with, uh, under her own powers. Um, and each time that she sort of re- begins to regain the power of Shira, it's always about protecting or saving her friends. It's always about a love relationship that she has. And, you know, she, like, makes her largest stride with the other main character, Katra, uh, when she has to rescue, in the episode, Save the Cat, which is a great episode name uh, from season five, um, where she uh, enters uh, Horde Prime's, you know, Star Destroyer um, to uh, rescue Katra and save her from being mind-controlled. And she ultimately, like, jumpstarts, although she doesn't complete that complete character arc, uh, by, like, being like, no, I'm here to protect Katra. I'm here to help and save my friends. It's about those relationships that allow her to regain the power of Shira. Likewise, the character of Katra, who is sort of a foil to her, there's the word I've been looking for, foil, uh, 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 begins the show being rejected by Adora. Um, and she has a very complex relationship with, again, their mutual mother figure, Shadow Weaver, who always favored Adora, always gave her love and always blamed Catra whenever things went wrong. There's an episode in season one, season one, episode 11, that I have like five notes from here alone um, where they're like seeing their backstories. um, And uh, like the, and there's a bunch of notes I could give you on that, but uh, the, the, the moment that really uh, struck me in that episode more than anything else is because uh, you know, Adora would do something good and get praise and Catra would do something good and get nothing or Adora would do something bad and get nothing and Catra would do something bad and she would get punished. Um, but there's this moment when the two of them are battling robots together because they're, you know, forced to take sides with each other, villain and hero united. Um, uh, and uh, they, uh, Catra uses her intelligence and her dexterity and her skills to, you know, take the, to, to, pull out a bunch of the robots uh wires and she has it almost dead and she's like yeah i am katra i am strong i am powerful and she gets to feel good about herself for a moment and adora who is you know battling robots over there comes in and does a complete kill steal uh kills the robot uh with by using just brute force just slams it with her sword um uh and you see that she just uh she just wins because she is strong because she is the chosen one because she is special um and to katra who her whole life has been you know deeply in love with adora but at the same time deeply jealous of her because adora has a destiny because adora is special from day one adora has um you know always gets love adora gets friends adora gets everything and katra just gets rejection over and over and over again um and doesn't get to be seen for her worth um and again that sort of that relationship is fascinating uh to read and to get into um but uh so catra's role is slowly trying to uh you know become force captain and then become leader of the horde after he finds out that hordak has no idea what he's doing um and is not nearly the dark lord he has spun himself as he is a 
like uh, basically just an inventor who got caught up in imperialist uh, ideas and would be much happier if he could just like build robots in his spare times. Um, he has his own fantastic arc about roles uh, where he, you know, discovers that all he really wants is to be loved and valued. And then Trapta has the, the great bit about um, your flaws, what make you perfect. Anyways. Um, sorry. I don't want to, I, I should, I should stick on task. Um, but uh for me katra uh her arc is she slowly tries to get power and tries to find fulfillment um in uh the um in, in power and in the sort of imperialist I- ideology and in the horde um uh but uh in doing so she begins to act more and more selfishly more and more like shadow weaver begins to take on the sort of abusive qualities that were done to her which is also how the show is about generational trauma um and she goes to the dark side and begins to push all of her friends away uh pushes away um uh you know her friend Lonnie Kyle poor Kyle uh, Rogelio um and Scorpia. Oh, bless Scorpia. The fact that I haven't said anything about Scorpia so far is a crime. Love Scorpia. Um, uh, and if I had two more hours to talk about this, there would be half an hour just on how cool Scorpia is. Um, uh, and even like even the most loyal friend you could possibly have, even Scorpia, who is also kind of in love with her, um, uh, sort of like uh, even she gets pushed out and pushed away. And in season five, in the last season, Katra finds herself completely alone and friendless and she realizes like the role she wanted to take on is ultimately empty and it's not until the end of season five when adora comes to rescue her and all of and all the princesses start accepting her and showing her you know true love and friendship um as as we like to to value um uh that she begins to find begins to reject the role of Force Captain begins to reject those ideologies she grew up with um, and makes her way uh, into love. So Andy had your monologue Um, That was great. I guess I want to know... I mean, I have, like, a few thoughts about some of the stuff you said. I'm sure, Izzy, you have a lot of things that you want to say, too. So I'm going to let you talk first, Izzy. Do you have any, like, just, you know, in response to Andy's Andy's ideas and notes? Diatribe, one might say. Yes. Oh, no. I was hoping you would go first so I could think of something. Oh, I I can try. Um... I mean, I'm curious, too, because, I mean, Andy, your thoughts about just, like, the sword and the idea of it being, like, this sword of power. I know you also called it, like, the sword of protection, which I didn't remember. At the end of the day, like, yes, she does kind of reject the Horde's form of imperialism and, like, ultimately the first ones. And I think as someone who's less familiar with the show, like, the first ones is really intriguing but like more confusing to me and how that works but just this idea of like power and what people do with that and i mean power is something that we talk about in geography like all the time and the idea that this sword is like the sword of power and you can literally see like i think shira is the princess of power 
and like with her like all the princesses can do like all these crazy things which usually involves them like shooting a giant rainbow and like killing all the robots um so i'm just like curious what you make of the fact that like she leaves the horde and ultimately takes on this power and i mean you talked about like what she what she does with it towards the end but yeah i don't know if that makes sense yeah no i think um i tended to think of it in terms of just like the you know like the super weapon they were weaponizing the 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 uh power of magic as like this you know as a death star um but i think you're right in that it's you know it's literally called the sword of power it's a sort of a one ring like a little bit it's sort of the one ring thing of the like oh you know power corrupts uh and power is power no matter whose hands it's whose hands it's in um and i guess like um uh it's and that's sort of the discussion of a lot of the especially especially season four where we have uh glimmer who sort of uh starts to take on some like catra-esque um uh traits and and some of the sort of just like she gets she starts to get very pragmatic um which there's nothing wrong with pragmatism but she starts to get uh like sort of push more and more for more drastic solutions um and i think that's it's it's definitely in the the difference of sort of like like adora leaves the horde and leaves that form of imperialism but then has to um figure out like okay i have this sword which is a weapon at the end of the day which is you know to defend maybe but also like how do i use it to what extent do i use it and that's the 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 sort of conflict of it and i think that again where it lands in season five is on the sort of like the the role of shira is not to be a weapon that's the fact that it was the sword of power that was the core of shira um uh, is a first one's idea shira is as much as she is a defender also a healer um and also uh her role is to protect her friends and to uh you know like be a magical princess who makes the world better by you know being sparkly and uh showing love to the people around her and maybe maybe there is some role you know again i i feel like i should reference um uh, at this point uh the stormlight archives where there's this sort of uh which i don't know if either of you have seen or read nope okay there's this there's this whole um bit in there where the main character is like uh he's uh a soldier and and his, he thinks of being a soldier as being a protector um and his father who's an ardent pacifist and it's there's a whole book where there's a, a conflict between the two of them over whether there can be any good that can come from being a being a soldier um and i feel like the show learns slightly on like well yeah you do have to fight nazis maybe but really your role should be the your what if you're going to use power if you're, if you're going to have power that should not be the main use of it if that at all answers your question peter <laughs> yeah i think so i mean it's definitely like a complicated thing and i think like um i mean we were just talking about dave filoni a moment ago i think that that's not in the actual recording because that was before i started recording but he's he's the guy who um was like the director of the the clone wars tv show in star wars and he... I saw a meme at some point, which was like the Ron Swanson goes into Home Depot, and they're just like, "I need help," and he's just like, "I know how to use this better than you." He's that guy for Star Wars. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but he he made a controversial comment in the Star Wars fandom community like a, a while back, where he was like, "Oh, Star Wars 
I don't know if it was him or it was like just Disney in general, but I, I kind of attribute it to him. And like he's talked about this before about like Star Wars being at its core like an anti-war story, even though Star Wars is in the name. And like you see, I mean, on the face of it, you're like, wait, but like what? Like Luke Skywalker's going blowing up Death Stars. But this, this idea of like shore fighting is like necessary sometimes, but like that's ultimately like, you know, Luke Luke isn't sitting on his home planet of Tatooine like necessarily dreaming about being a warrior. I mean, maybe he is at first, but he kind of grows out of that and he realizes like, you know, like yes, I I fight, but it isn't something that. I like aspire to do all the time like it's not the fighting that makes me the person I am it's the protecting the people yes yeah so I kind of see I think you know your response to like Vera and like you know made me think of that in a way whereas like it's yeah she has like this incredible like awesome power and like yeah she's just like you know this superhero type person but definitely the way in which she uses her powers to do like the healing which i think i mean i i think the show kind of focuses less on that from what i remember and i I could be totally wrong about that there Um, are a few instances where it's just like she heals the 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 gate in season one the seagate and she heal and she helps uh heal plants although that's more perfuma in uh that episode there are they tend to to back away from it more but i think you're mostly right in that there are like there are examples but it's like and i guess oh the the very end of season five where she uses it to reject rather than uh like she she uses etheria to sort of reject the um corruption that horde prime is bringing on it which isn't so much an act of aggression in my mind so much as it is sort of just like getting rid of uh of or I guess, I guess, well, maybe it's an act of aggression. I'd have to rewatch the episode, but I, I, I tend to think of that particular bit as more of healing than uh, aggression, but continue. Yeah, no, I think you're, I think you're right about that. And that kind of just, like, I mean, makes me also think about the idea of, like, accepting roles and whatnot, and um, I mean, that's, like, very much the final episode, two episodes, and you see, like, Catra continuously, like, talk to Adora, like, oh, like, are you just doing this to, for, like, Shadow Weaver? Is this something that you actually want to do? And, I mean, I'm just curious, ultimately, like, your interpretation of, do you think that she like, Adora goes and does whatever she does with, like, the core of Etheria to, like, stop the super weapon? Is that ultimately, like, her choice? Do you think that's something that she chooses to do? Or is that still... Because definitely, like, Catra, I mean, part of her, like, oh, Adora, like, do, like, the thing that you want to do, what's best for you, was to try to get her to, like, not potentially sacrifice herself. And Adora ends up going the route of, like, potentially sacrificing herself and risking herself for everyone. Um, And we see Catra, like, kind... You know, Catra comes back. I'm not sure if I totally that like Catra thought that Adora was doing it for Adora I think it gets like a little bit kind of just like messy in how we can interpret it a little bit I was curious like what your thoughts were on on that yeah I would want to rewatch the episode but uh, Mm -hmm. my memory of this is that uh, and I, I, you know, that that was actually I was I was rewatching uh, right up until the last minute when we were about to record, and I was um, 
going through key episodes and I didn't quite get to the finale again. But my memory uh, is that, uh, you know, Adora goes off to be a hero because in, in and in part um, because of the sort of like the guilt that Adora has um, and the sort of hero complex that she has. She's like, OK, I'm going to go save the planet. I'm going to sacrifice myself. Ultimately, she has some of the same issues that Katra has because of their screwed up upbringing. Thanks, evil mom. Um, and uh, she and Katra uh, like runs back to her uh, as Adora is sacrificing herself. But Adora just sacrificing herself isn't working. Doesn't doesn't save the planet. It's only when Katra runs to her. It's only when the two of them. It's only when Katra says, "Hey, I love you, stupid. Don't kill yourself over this. You're too valuable. You mean too much." It's only when she makes that again connection move into love move into a loving relationship not into an empty sacrifice not or an, or an empty idea of heroism but a mutual connection that's what saves the planet it's not and that's what allows her to do the thing to you know empower the etheria to uh, reject the corruption so my my thought on the finale is that it's not so much uh you know uh, her sacrifice as it is which is uh as it is her moving back into humanity and back into love and, you know, uh, finding her self-love and her love of Katra at the same time. Um, hashtag love wins. I say, I'm throwing around the word love a lot. Um, like it doesn't mean much, but I think it really does. And I think that if any, if the show communicates anything to me very well, it's the value of love and it's the, and it's, it's a little, it's a little Harry Potter esque, except that I think it does it better than Harry Potter in some places. Oh, for I have so many thoughts on that. <laughs> um, she was so much better. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah. like the, uh, it's yeah, it's sort of just like the no, and it's like this was another I think five by five video of just like no, love is cool actually. Uh, love, love actually can you know make us better and uh, and and should be the end goal. Um, and yeah, so it's not uh, so it's. Uh, it's lesbians save the world uh, is the is the headline of the of the previous episode. Rather than Adora save the world, it's their love save the world. Um, that's so that's my response. Yeah. So Izzy, do you have is has that been enough time for you to come up with some thoughts? No, I am <laughs> thoroughly absorbing everything you're saying, Andy. Very much uh, appreciating. I it's, I watched some analysis videos back when the finale came out, but this feels like I'm having my own mini analysis video. Um, I mean, yeah, listeners, like Andy is super smart, and this was basically what college was like with him just listening. To, I mean, we had like some some debates about other stuff too, but just like listening to you talk and like your ideas about these stories is just like super fascinating. Yeah, man. I, I mean, this. I, I, this was no. I did say this on screen. Like, yeah, stories are stories are in my blood. I'm like, I can sound pretty cool when I talk about stories, uh, but then people <laughs> ask me questions about like real life things, and I'm like, uh, <laughs> this is uh, this is not my area of specialty. Thank you so much, Andy. Those thoughts were super interesting. I had a great time listening to them, and I hope you also had a great time, listeners. This will be the close of our episode for now. Not much, again, with the conclusion being not so much of a conclusion. But I hope this gets you thinking. And maybe if you have watched She-Ra, gets you watching She-Ra. Or maybe re-watching if you are so inclined. Watch it. It's great. Yeah. 
Thank you so much, Andy, for joining us. We really appreciated talking with you. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. And check out our Patreon listeners. We've got it in the uh, the link in the episode description. And we really appreciate everything that you guys do. And yep, this was a great episode. Thank you, Andy, for coming on. Glad to be, good to be here. Bye, everyone. Go for it. Okay. Yeah. To the notes.